This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Good morning, y'all. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Aaron Thomas. I'm one of the associate pastors here, um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be here this morning. I'm grateful to see all of you. I'm grateful to, to be able um, to proclaim the goodness of God. And um, this is, I, I don't do this very often. I do it every week with teenagers, but teenagers are different. They're, they're more critical um, in some ways. Um, yeah, yeah, sorry. Generally more critical, not than everyone. But uh, anyway, um, it's different when we're here. There's something about the formality of this that feels different, but God is the same uh, back in the youth room as he is here in this space, uh, as he is in your home, as he is in your car, as he is at your job. Um, and so we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk, which is in the Old Testament in chapter two. So while you're turning there, um, we've been in a series on discipleship that's been titled Inside Out. And uh, discipleship, what it means to be a disciple is to be a learner of Jesus. That's the definition Pastor Mike has given us, to be a, a learner of Jesus. And then that, that's something that happens both inside of us and then happens outside of us. It, it moves outside of us. It starts inside, moves outside. So we're learning who Jesus is, and then we're learning how he lived so that we can then help other people learn who Jesus is and how he lived. So we walk in obedience to God. And so when you talk about discipleship and why we should make disciples... Uh, I want to focus today on that question of why. Why should we make disciples? Why do we do this? Um, it's awkward. It's difficult. If you've talked to somebody about Jesus who does not believe in him, it's uncomfortable. Um, sometimes you may be mocked. You, you may be just flat out rejected. Families have been split apart. People have lost jobs. People have died in, in attempts to, to make disciples, to share the gospel so people can come to know the Lord. So why, why do this? And some of you may be thinking right now, because Jesus said so. And that's a legitimate answer, because he did say so. Um, if you have preschoolers here right now, as they're, they're going through their lesson, um, they're spending some time over a few weeks. Uh, their memory verse is from Matthew 28, it's verses 19 and 20, that says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And for some of you, that is enough. Jesus is Lord. Jesus said so. So praise God, let's go make disciples. And if, if that's the case, then, then that's not a bad thing. If that is enough of a motivator for you. Um, I, I, I don't think that's a bad answer at all because obviously Jesus said it, but I, I'm not sure it's the best answer, or the, the fullest answer of why we make disciples. And I've always been a why asker. Um, I don't know if you are. Uh, if you have little kids, then you've lived through that. Um, tomorrow, our youngest turns four and then we'll have two five-year-olds and a four-year-old in the house. There are lots of whys in our home. And I can't always answer those questions um, I hated being told because I said so when I was a kid. Sorry, Dad. Um, but sometimes that's just it. Like, you just, today it's because I said so. And I try not to say that. So what I say to my kids is sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Like, if they're like, why do we have to do this? I'm like, because sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And it's the same thing. I'm still saying, anyway. Um, it's like payback for me. I know my parents are chuckling at this, but I sympathize with that question of why. And sometimes I think we need to ask why more. We stopped doing that as, an, as adults, and 
I can't, it was year, a couple of years ago, I think, that Pastor Mike preached a series where he talked about why, how we need to ask why more, because asking why leads us to better answers. So um, some of the silly examples of that, like I have questions about our tax system. Some of you may be accountants, like, is this really the best that we have? Like, the, the, the way the government taxes us, like, why, why does it have to be like this? Like, we owe them money, but they're not going to tell us how much. We just guess. And then sometimes they're like, oh, you gave us too much. Here's some extra. Or you didn't give us enough. We need more money from you. Like, it just seems convoluted. I have lots of why, whys about that. Um, or like, why is it that cars have gotten the same, pretty much the same gas mileage for like a million years? Like, how are we not driving cars that can go like, 500 miles on a, on a gallon of gas. I don't understand that. And then, yeah. And why, why doesn't everyone who owns a vehicle own a minivan or just a van in general? Cause our van's not mini anymore. It's huge. Um, but vans, in my opinion, are the most practical vehicle ever. Sliding doors are the best. If somebody parks too close to you, doesn't matter. Your door slides out of the way. You can hop right in. Like it's easy. Anyway, sorry. I can, that's not what I came to talk about. Those are silly wise. The why of discipleship matters, I think, because if we get this wrong, we're, we're, if we get the, the why wrong as a church, we can be led in a bunch of different directions and we'll make disciples of other things besides Jesus. Um, sometimes we do the right things, but we can do it for the wrong reason or for a shallow reason. So, um, I grew up in, in the South. I grew up in Midland. Um, I grew up in like a real rural area. I was in school. Um, most of the kids I went to school with were white. And so, uh, like, when racist jokes were made, I laughed at those as a kid because I didn't, at the time, it was like a, in my ignorance, I didn't know any better. But then someone came along and was like, hey, it's not okay for you to laugh at those, not okay for you to share those jokes because it hurts people's feelings. And that's a legitimate reason not to make racist comments or make racist jokes because you don't want to hurt someone's feeling. But that's not the best reason to not do that. The best reason not to do that is because you need to understand who they are as human human beings. They are image bearers of God, and we are disparaging them when we laugh at them or, or make fun of them, or we're teaching someone else that it's okay. Even if we mean it just as a joke and in jest, we're at least modeling for somebody else that it's okay to laugh at another human being because of the color of their skin or because of their ethnicity or whatever. We need to understand, we need a, a fuller reason. One of those reasons is more convicting and, and produces more change in us because we see really what the problem is. And so hopefully today we're going to come away with a better why behind discipleship. So if you've made it to Habakkuk 2 in your Bible or in the app on your phone, we're going to look at verse 14. Um, and I just want to soak in the promise of this verse this morning. And um, I'm going to reference other scripture, but this is going to kind of be the anchor that I'll come back to. Um, and just before I read it, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Uh, I think the end of 2020, Pastor Mike preached on, uh, a message on the book of Habakkuk. So Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel's history. Israel was a, a nation that was formed by God. And then at some point, the nation was divided. There's a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom gets conquered. Habakkuk is in the southern kingdom, and he's looking at his people who are supposed to be God's people, showing the world how to live in obedience to God. And he's watching them reject God. He's, he's complaining about their corrupt leadership. He's crying out to God saying, God, how long are you going to let this happen? And then God responds like, hey, Habakkuk, I got this. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, who are another nation who are rejecting me and not living in obedience and don't know me, and they're going to come in and they're going to conquer this southern kingdom of Israel. And Habakkuk's like, what? Why, Why that? 
And then God's like, it's okay, because I'm going to bring judgment on them too. And I, I don't want to get into to all of that, but in the midst of God pronouncing the judgment that's going to come both on Israel and then on the Babylonians, God makes this promise in verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this is a promise from God that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Him as the waters cover the sea, like completely immersed and submerged in that. So if you're in the middle of good times right now, then I want you to look at this promise and say, there are better things coming. There's more coming than this. If you're in, in the middle somewhere and everything just kind of seems blah and mundane, there is more to life. There's more meaning in life than what's happening to you right now in your situation. And if you're in the middle of gut-wrenching pain and suffering. There is hope because God is not going to leave us in that. He is going to come. And what it means for the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God is that God is going to be here with us. People will know him and live in his presence, not not separated from him, not learning about him from his word that he gave us, but he will be with us. Revelation 21 and 22 talks about how God will dwell in the midst of his people. And so when everything is falling apart around us, we can cling to this hope because this is our end. This is the goal of God throughout all of human history. This is what he's doing. He's working so the whole world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of him as the waters cover the sea. And we're not necessarily going to fully see this in our lives now, but this is our goal in discipleship too both for ourselves and for others. Our goal is the glory of God. Because we're, we're all making disciples all the time. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're making disciples. You're teaching people. You're, you're, you talk to them about the things you love. You try to convince them that your ways are better than their ways. Um, and so we're making disciples. It may be that you are a, a, an, a, an evangelist for your favorite sports team, or like me, maybe you're an evangelist for minivans. Evangelist. Anyway, um, we... <laughs> now that I'm a dad, I get to make dad jokes. Um, we, we try to convince people of, of all sorts of things. We're, we're making disciples of, of something all the time. And so as a church, we want to make sure that we are focused on the glory of God. We want people to come to know the Lord and grow in knowledge of Him and, and grow in obedience to Him. He is our goal. He's the focus of discipleship. If we get this wrong, we're messing it up. We could exist for hundreds of years and be making disciples of our politics or of our preferences and not making disciples of Jesus. We want to make sure that we're making disciples of Jesus for God's glory because anything else is wrong. So I want to talk a little bit about the glory of God. I don't know who put this water bottle here, but I'm grateful for you. So whoever it was in the back, thanks. And I've mentioned this before. I don't know if you've ever drank out of a bottle of water in front of a bunch of people staring at you, but like your confidence level goes down. Um, yeah. Anyway, the glory of God. Um, the, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament most often translated to glory means weight or, or like heaviness. And so God's glory is a, a, it's a part of him that we can sense, like touch, feel, see, like sense. Um, Adam Byerly is a missionary in Spain with his wife, Emily, and he um, shared about what they're doing in Spain. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was in 2019 sometime. But he was talking about the glory of God, and he said that the glory of God is the going public of God's holiness. And, and when we read in scriptures, when people come into the presence of God and they see his glory, they're always overwhelmed and awestruck by it. 
Like at Christmas time, when we talk about the shepherds in the field and the angels show up and the glory of God shone around them, the shepherds just fought like freeze, like we're all going to die. This is, I'm scared, I'm terrified. When Isaiah's in the throne room, he falls on his face. When, when people see the glory of God, it, it has a physical effect on them. And so God wants us to know him and he is revealing himself to us all the time. And one of the ways that he does that is through creation. God reveals his glory to us through creation. So he created all things in the beginning. And the Psalms tell us, Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation is declaring the glory of God. So what this means is that when you're at the beach and you're watching the sunrise or you're, you're just looking out at the ocean and you're overwhelmed by the beauty of it or you're in the mountains and you're looking out at that and you're, you're, you're awestruck by the beauty that you see there, what's happening is creation is crying out to you and declaring the glory of God. And there's something in you that is recognizing that. Like You don't just love to go on vacation to the beach and the mountains because you love to get away from work and be with your family. That's not the only reason that you love that. You love that because when you're in those places, something in your soul is crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Something's resonating there. Um, if you guys have ever messed with tuning forks, you know, the thing, it's like you smack it and it makes a noise. Um, if you take two that are identical and you smack one of them and hold it next to the other, do y'all know what happens? Like the, the noise this one's making that got smacked, it starts being made by the other one. They're, they're resonating. They're talking to one another. So when you're experiencing that beauty in creation and something in you is, is welling up and you're overwhelmed by how awesome that is in that moment, it's like the, the God who created all of that and God who created you, there is, there's a, a resonation that's happening there. Your body is recognizing that God is declaring his glory even if your mind hasn't caught up with you yet. There's a, there's a reason that people worship creation and worship nature. It's because they sense God there. But that's not the fullness of who God is. That's not the only way that he's revealing himself to us. He wants us to know him but Thankfully, he doesn't just expect us to wander around and figure it out. He's not like a middle schooler who likes another middle schooler. And then instead of telling them that they like them, they just like hit them and poke them and just get mad at them for not figuring out that they like them. I don't know if that ever happened to you when you were growing up or if it's happening to some of you right now. Like you don't know how to communicate. God's not like that. He knows how to communicate and he's revealing himself to us in, in so many ways. And he's been doing it throughout human history. So creation is, is, revealing him to us. Uh, but then if we study the Bible and, and throughout history, God called a people to himself. He, he started with a, an old childless man and his wife, Abraham and Sarah, and God made a promise to them. I mean, they should have been erased by history. They should have died in obscurity and we would never know their names. But God chose them, chose Abraham, made this promise to him that he was going to make him into a great nation and bless the whole world through him. And their job, his job, even then, at just he and his wife and their child was to tell the world who God is. And then that nation grew. And in, in Exodus 19, it talks about how God calls the nation of Israel, uh, who are the descendants of Abraham, he calls them a nation of priests. Their job is to tell the whole world who he is. And then God showed himself. He, he continued to re reveal himself to them so that they could then relay that to others. And he did that through crazy miracles. 
This is not a book full of myths or, or fiction or, or fables. These things really happen. And God revealed himself to his people so that they then would say, look how great God is. Come and experience the glory of God. And then in Exodus 40, when they, when they have the tabernacle, so the nation of Israel is wandering in the desert, so they build this big tent to, to worship in. And in, in the tabernacle, there's a space called the Holy of Holies, and God's presence dwells there. He had been leading them as a pillar of smoke and fire by day and night. And then he comes, that, that column moves and just lands in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. He dwells in the midst of his people. But there was a separation there. He's revealing himself more to them but not fully to them yet. And so we're seeing this clearer and clearer picture of who God is. And if, if you study the rest of Israel's history, we see them fall on their faces over and over again, continue to reject God and rebel against Him. But then what we're learning through that is more of who God is because we see His patience and His grace and His mercy with a, a foolish people. So again, even as we're reading through the Old Testament, some of those places where it just seems crazy, we're seeing the heart of God revealed to us. He's revealing himself more and more and more. And then he enters into history himself in the person of Jesus. So he's not just revealing himself in creation. God has revealed himself to us fully in the person of Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 calls him the Lord of glory. And then in John 1 verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. He became flesh. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the physical embodiment of the grace of God or the glory of God. And he continually displayed that. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see these wild miracles that he performed where he healed people who had been blind or, or uh, lame from birth. He brought dead people to life. He spoke to a storm and it stopped. And next time there's a thunderstorm, I want you to like prepare to get wet and go stand in the middle of it and just imagine Jesus standing next to you and just saying, hush, and then all of that stopping. Like he could, he revealed himself. The things he did are wild, and he did it to reveal the glory of God to us, and so that we could see that he was God himself. He brought dead people to life, and then he rose from the grave himself. Luke, Luke chapter nine um, is something we call the Transfiguration, where Jesus takes three of his disciples up on a mountain, and then he transforms himself, and he lets them see his glory, and they're completely overwhelmed by it. He, he his face changes; he turns bright white bright, like a bright light. And they're, they're just awestruck in his presence. And Jesus didn't just come to show God's glory to us, but he shares it with us. He shares his glory with us, which is so crazy. Because Jesus is God. He's been there from the very beginning. He's the Lord of glory. He's existed with the Father and the Spirit forever. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They existed forever before creation came. And out of the, the, the beauty and goodness of God, God created all things. And the crown piece of creation was us. He made us and set us and, and gave us dominion over all of creation, but we chose to reject him. There was one named Satan who had already, an angel who had rejected God and wanted God's glory for himself. And so he whispered lies to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve believed those lies. 
And so they rejected God for who he was and sin entered the world. And our relationship with him is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. Our relationship with creation is broken. Because Satan wants to rob God of his glory and we chose to believe him over believing the author of life. But when that happens, in Genesis 3.15, God promises to send one who's going to crush the head of that serpent, who's going to defeat our enemy. And that one is Jesus who came into the story, God Himself. He left His glory in heaven, entered into our mess, the mess that we made. And then He lived a sinless life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved, taking on the wrath of God in our place. And that that tabernacle I was talking about, the the Holy of Holies, this most inner part, eventually that became a a brick building, a a structure, a temple in Jerusalem, and the Holy of Holies existed there. God's presence was there. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated people from the presence of God was torn, and God was declaring, I'm no longer withholding myself from you. I'm coming to you through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is available to all of us. The presence of God is available to us through Jesus and dwells in every believer. And Jesus died to make that happen, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. And like, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard that. Or if you've even just been in the South, you've heard that. And we can kind of gloss over that. Jesus was a man who came, uh, he's God and man. He came and lived a life for us. He died in our place and he rose from the dead. Praise God. Defeating death, giving us life through Him. And right now, He's at the right hand of the Father and He is going to come back one day and make all wrongs right from the smallest injustice to the biggest. And we look forward to that day with hope and anticipation and everyone who believes that good news, everyone who believes this gospel will be saved and will share in that glory. And Jesus could have just come and saved us and gone back to heaven and been like, took care of that. He didn't. The Bible tells us that that when we believe the gospel, we are adopted into God's family. We are sons and daughters of God. We are heirs with Jesus. That's crazy. Like, who does that? What love is that? I struggle to love my kids, to show love to them after they, like, do something that I tell them not to do. I remember vividly telling one of my children not to play with like a five pound hand weight that they found under the couch. And I said, if you play with that, you might drop it on your foot. And then five seconds later, what do they do? Drop it on their foot. And then they're crying. And it, like that hurts. If I drop a five pound weight on my foot right now, I would cry like that. That hurt. But instead of coming and comforting them, I was like, told you not to do that. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't treat us like that. And he did not treat us like that. He patiently and graciously comforts us in our pain, even in our own stupidity. And he lifts us up to keep going. Does he despise our sin? Absolutely. Of course he does. So much that he died for it. But he doesn't want us to live in shame. He doesn't want us to live our lives with our heads down like, like whipped dogs. God wants us to know Him more and more, which is why we're, He's constantly revealing Himself to us. And we can spend our whole lives learning about Him, and we would never reach the end. 
A disciple is a learner of Jesus. And since Jesus is God, a disciple is a learner of God. As we're learning about Jesus and who he is and how he lived, we're also then learning about who God is and how God created us to live. We're learning who we are created to be at our core. And it's not just for us, church. It's not just about self-discovery so that you can understand who you've been made to be by God. It's for us to experience and then share. And when we catch hold of the glory of God on the inside, it's going to burst out of us. We get to share share in His glory and then share it with others. And we become ambassadors for Him. So making disciples, being a disciple is about the glory of God over all the earth. I want to remember, let's look again at Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And, and if you study this verse and, and what theologians who are way smarter than me say about it, um, they disagree about exactly when this is going to happen in human history. Is it, is it happening partially now? Is it only going to happen fully when Jesus comes back? When is that going to fall? And I can't, I'm, I'm not going to try to tell you when that's going to happen. What I do know is that this is the end that God has been working towards and is inviting us to work with him in. This is our goal. From beginning to end, the Bible's telling a story of redemption where God creates, the creation rejects him, and then God reveals himself more and more and more to them so that he redeems creation to himself. And I, I want to spend all of my days filling up whatever space I'm in with the glory of the Lord. And, and that doesn't mean that we wear burlap sacks and chant psalms and smack ourselves in the head with the Bible like the monks in, uh, or they think they use a piece of wood. If you've seen the movie Monty Python, I apologize for referencing it. Um, anyway, it, we don't have to be like holy, weird monks. Like We just be people who glorify God in all that we do and, and wherever we are. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're not going to agree on exactly what that looks like on, on every single thing. But we, what we want to be doing as a body of believers is each of us individually trying to live in obedience to this book that God has given us so that we glorify him in all the things that we're doing. God, God's revealing himself to the world. He's revealing himself to you, but he's also revealing himself to the world through you. And that is such a humbling thing. And in, in John 17, Jesus is praying for us. If you were in a Sunday school class this morning, you, you I think, referenced this passage um, Jesus is praying for us and he's saying to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, talking about us, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity as Christians is testifying to the world that Jesus is who he says he is. Or our unity or disunity could be testifying the opposite of that. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Peter calls us in in 1 Peter 2.9, he tells us that we're a royal priesthood. Just like God told Israel, they were a royal priesthood. It's our job to reveal God to the world. This is who you are is who you were created to be. More than a job title, you are a child of God, an ambassador of the king on mission for your entire life to the world to make him known 
to know him and make him known. That was a really convoluted sentence. Your job as a Christian is to know the Lord and make him known wherever you're at. Whether you're a student or a construction worker, a roofer, a teacher assistant, a graphic designer, a truck driver, a, I don't know. Whatever it is that you are doing, you can do those things and glorify God in those things. There are very few professions that are sinful in and of themselves. And I think you can identify which ones those are. But whatever your job is, in that job, it's your responsibility to glorify the Lord, to, to make Him known. It's the, the most important thing. Um, in 2019, before the world shut down, I went to, actually I think it was the beginning of 2020, um, I went to a conference, a discipleship conference, and one of the things they did was asked a bunch of churches in the Bible Belt, they, they just polled members of, of different churches that would have looked similar to ours, and they gave them a multiple choice question and said, what is it that you are doing, which of these things, when you're doing them, is you being most, like you're most being a Christian when you do this thing? And the options were, attend a church service, serve in the church, um, give financially to the church, or make disciples. So attend a church service, work, uh, serve in the church, give financially to the church, or make disciples. Those were the choices. At the very bottom of the list, the, the one that was chosen the least by church members was make disciples. Y'all, attending church is not the, the whole of what it means to be a Christian. We want you to be here and we want to be here so that we can be reminded of who God is and we can point one another to Him. But attending church doesn't make you a Christian. Serving in the church doesn't make you a Christian. Or, or is it the, the essence of Christianity? Like We want to know God and we make Him known to other people. Making disciples is what we are called to. Proclaiming the glory of God, letting other, helping other people get to know Him. In, in uh, Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus calls us the light of the world and then says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're supposed to live in such a way that people look at what we're doing and glorify God. We treat people in such a way that people experience that treatment and glorify God. We love people in such a way that people glorify God. Uh, Pastor Mike preached several weeks throughout or through John chapter 15 and verse 8 Jesus says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples and we talked about how bearing fruit means making disciples and obeying the lord right? obeying what he's commanded us to do in scripture when we live in obedience to the word of god and we submit to the holy spirit who is in us others are going to glorify god in response they may also mock you but god is still glorified each moment that you obey God and share His love, you're getting a glimpse of your future where God, God's glory fills the earth. You're being who you were created to be even if in the next moment you fall on your face and sin. We want to live every moment of our lives and try to glorify God in our parenting, at our jobs, whatever it is that we're doing. So when I, when I show love to my wife after she offends me, which is rare, I'll let you decide which thing I'm talking about being rare there. Just kidding. Jenna, Jenna doesn't offend me often, but unfortunately it is rare. I, I love my wife, but I'm also comfortable with my wife. So when she does something I don't like or that, that hurts me, I, I tend to, I'm more quick to snap back. And I'm learning. I, need, I have much to grow in in that. But when I choose to show grace and show love to her when, in, when I'm offended, 
I'm submitting to the Lord. God is glorified in that. Or when I, I choose to be patient with my kids instead of snapping at them in anger because I've asked them 750,000 times to do something really simple, like pick up a Lego block or whatever. And when, when you, when you make yourself uncomfortable to go uh, get to know a guest in one of our services or when, when you reject the temptation to hit the snooze button so that you can then start your day with the Lord in His Word or when, when you control the urge to respond in anger when you get cut off in traffic or when you deny your flesh and flee from temptation to lust or commit sexual sin when you're kind to a coworker who you know has been talking about you behind your back or when you respond in love to someone who's leaving hateful comments on your Facebook wall or when you pray for the person who's antagonizing you at work or in your neighborhood when you give up a week of vacation to serve the Lord on a mission trip or serve a church when you struggle through a home Bible study with your distracted or uninterested kids or when you invite a friend or family member to read the Bible with you so that they can meet Jesus themselves, you're glorifying God in that moment. He's revealing himself to you and through you and you are being most fully who you are. You're living the way you've been created to live. And is this going to feel euphoric when you do it? Nope. Sometimes yes. Most of the time no. A lot of times it feels torturous because we are, we are in our flesh we are spirit. God has saved us and redeemed us, but the rest of our lives are living in, we live in this constant t- tension. Man, I'm going to take another sip of water because my words are stuck. There it is. My wife's laughing real hard at me. It's okay for you to laugh at me too. I can take it. Okay. Our lives are lived in this tension where we, we know we should obey the Lord, but it hurts to obey Him. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a joy but sometimes when we are denying our flesh, denying our selfishness, it just hurts. And God is still glorified in that and we should still do it. It is always worth it. God made us to glorify Him. So why do we make disciples? Because that's who we are. We're made to glorify God to all people all over the earth. And how we live this out is there's so many different ways that you can do this. Paul tells us to glorify God in our bodies. So the way we treat our bodies, are you treating your body in a way? Are you taking care of your physical body in a way that glorifies the Lord? Jesus tells us to do good, as we mentioned, do good so that God will be glorified. So how are you doing good to others? How are you doing good to your family? How are you doing good in your neighborhood? And in all of these things, we want to be sharing the gospel, but we also, it matters how we live and how we conduct ourselves. He tells us to bear fruit. So who are the non-believers that you're praying for and pursuing to share the gospel with? Who are the believers that you know who, who are not as far along in their faith that you can come alongside and teach them how to read the Bible, teach them how to pray, teach them how to share their faith, teach them how to live in obedience to Jesus? Who are those people? Identify them. They're not going to just magically pop up to you and come up and be like, hey, tell me about Jesus. That is rare. It might happen, praise God, but we need to be intentional. So who are the people you're pursuing for the Lord, both non-believers and believers? We're supposed to love one another. Are you working hard to love other Christians in this body and on the earth? Christians are some of the most bickering, like crazy people in the world. Like people know us more for our fighting than they know us for our Lord and our obedience to Him. James tells us not to show partiality to anyone as we hold faith in the glorious Jesus. So how are we pushing back against racism and prejudice in the world? It matters what we say and how we conduct ourselves in those things. There's so many ways to live this out. The Bible is full of guidance. And I want to be clear that doing those things is not what saves you. 
It's only Jesus. Faith in Jesus alone is what saves you. We glorify God when we put our faith in Jesus, and then we glorify Him when we live like Jesus. We don't have to keep a list of rules. We're free from that, but we just go about our days asking, how can I glorify God in this moment, in this space, with this person, in this conversation? And when we do it together, the world glimpses the glorious future that God is promising in Habakkuk 2.14. The, the exhilaration of seeing someone come to faith in Jesus, the joy of a reconciled relationship that you thought was beyond repair, or the, the peace of a family who's mourning with hope at the loss or, or suffering of a loved one, the, the comfort of a community that's embracing and fighting for the marginalized. All of these things are snapshots of the life to come. And in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, we've been reading them to our kids, which they're way too young to understand what's going on there, but it's been good for me anyway. Um, the last book, uh, there, there's this, uh, d- the main characters are in, uh, like on the new earth with, with God. They're, they're in this new place, um, and they're taking it all in, and, and they're confused because they're seeing some things that look really familiar to them. And then one of the characters says this, He says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up and come further in. And that that's our invitation today. Further up and further in to the glory of God. So if you don't call yourself a believer, I beg you to consider why your heart sings at the beauty of creation or when you see people loving one another sacrificially. It's because of Jesus. You're you're witnessing His, His glory and He's revealing Himself to you. So come to Him, believe in Him, be made new by Him. And believer, let us go further up and further into the knowledge of the glory of God together. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.